Amen. That was a beautiful song. It's brand new for me. Well, greetings to everyone. Special welcome to Brendan and Sarah. We're glad to have you back. It's amazing how big a hole you left when you were gone. <laughs> Amen. <clears throat> welcome back. <clears throat> and it's good for me to be back, too. Thank you for your prayers. <clears throat> it's quite a sick journey for me. I don't think I'd wish it on anyone. A nasty one. But I believe I'm over it for the most part. <clears throat> At least I'm on antibiotics, so I shouldn't be too dangerous to be around. My. Amen. It's a blessing to be back. It seems like not quite most of us are here, or most of us are here, not quite all of us. You can say that right. And I think I will proceed this morning with a <clears throat> message on the home, on maybe child training in particular. I feel a little out of touch with that, so I had to do a lot of thinking, and I was very hard for me to put, put it down in notes. So I've, I ran out of time, and I felt like my message is really left with a not a very good ending. So I'll just tell you that ahead of time and probably will bring another one, hopefully, to complete it because I felt like I just had a hard time putting my vision down <clears throat> in notes and so on. But uh, I do believe that the topic is very important. We have a lot of children here, little children, little babies, uh, young children, school-age children, those that are in that time frame of serious training, and so I believe it's a very uh, good time to give it, <clears throat> but I do covet your prayers, even this morning and also in the days to come as I continue on with this. I guess I should have uh, ran an email yesterday or a text and said, please pray for me, because I, I, do, I did really struggle with direction till this morning, and then I ran out of time. <clears throat> So if we could, in honor to the Lord, let's stand for prayer this morning before we go into the message. God in heaven, we thank you for this time together here as a congregation. Thank you for your word. Lord, as the word was being read this morning, Brother Myron and as Earl was preaching from your word, I was just thinking the value, the privilege, the blessing that we have in hearing the Word of God. And Lord, we probably didn't hear much new things this morning. Sometimes that is, that is to our downfall, Lord, when we hear things over and over. But Lord, I pray we would stir ourselves up to the reality of the things we heard, the creation account. In the beginning, God... Father, for many in our day, they don't believe that you created the world. Oh, Father, and I pray these things would be sharpened and strengthened and stirred in our hearts, Lord, and that we would, we would proclaim this message till the day we die and never fall and crumble to the pressures around us of other theories and ideas of how this world came to pass, Lord. God... Write your will in the very depth of our hearts, Lord, as we hear these words and hear about the law and about Christ and, and uh, mercy and truth, which came by Jesus Christ, Lord. And, oh, Father, I pray for a thankfulness, a, 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 a true gratefulness, Lord, to well up in our hearts to you, God, that we, we heard the message and we know the Lord and and we can walk with you, dear God. Oh, Father, deliver us from, from falling asleep in these areas, Lord, and growing weary and lukewarm and lax and all the things that you hate, Lord. Oh, God, I pray that our love for you would be stirred up, Lord, when we think of what Christ did for us. 
And now, Lord, as we think of our dear children, Lord, many little ones among us, Lord, in the need for parents to be encouraged and, and, uh, and taught and, and, and exhorted to bring them up in the fear and nurture and admonition of the Lord. God, we need you for this great work. Oh, Lord, how we need you. Lord, these souls are precious. They are from you, dear God. These little ones on our laps are lent to us from you for a season. And then they grow up and they're on their own, Lord. Oh, God, I pray for a, just a, a, an awakening, a stirring in our hearts to the reality of our children, Lord, that you've given to us for such a short time. A time of training and teaching, Lord, is, is soon past. And, and the Bible even says, discipline thy son while there is hope. God, because the time comes when there's no more hope. Oh, Lord, or less hope to influence them and train them and teach them. And, uh, and as, as, as a, I believe it's in Ecclesiastes where it says, remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. Before the evil days come nigh, and so on there, Lord. Oh, God. So, Lord, bless me. Help me, Lord, to speak these truths to our hearts this morning. I pray these things in Jesus' precious name, Lord. Amen. <clears throat> you may be seated. I titled the message this morning, The Journey to Usefulness. And the reason that I give it that title is because as we look at our children, it's important that we have a long-term vision that someday they can be useful for God. Amen? And if we have that vision as parents, you know, we have these little ones on our laps. They seem so sweet and so dear, and we love them, and sometimes we... As we say, we love them to death, you know, we just, there's nothing wrong with them, they're so precious, and, and yet, you know, we need a vision for where they will be in five years, ten years, twenty years, thirty years, <clears throat> what will they be? And so, it's a journey, and the journey starts very young, very early on. I thought of the Chinese proverb that says the best time to plant the tree is when. Marvin, do you know when the best time to plant the tree is? When? When it's young? Well, yeah, you know, you know, uh, Daryl, not yet. Uh, Josh, do you know when the best time is to plant the tree? <laughs> when? You're not sure? Okay. Well, we'll go up a little bit here. Ezra, do you know when the time, best time to plant the tree is? Well, you're close, yeah. I think the proverb goes on to say 20 years ago. So we all like mature trees. We all like that. We wish we could just grab them and plant them beside our homes, and boom, there they are. We'd be enjoying the fruit or the shade right away. But tw who wants to wait 20 years to enjoy a tree? Well, nowadays, we can kind of cheat on that. We can maybe buy one that's been growing for 10 years already, so we cut that in half, but you pay a good price, don't we? You can maybe buy a tree that's been growing for 10 years already, and in 10 years, you have a nice shade tree. Well, that does not work with child rearing, does it? When's the second best time to plant a tree? Daryl. Okay, <laughs> today. Yeah, today is Sunday. So if you haven't planned it 20 years ago, if we've failed with our child training, if we missed the mark, or if we're not, you know, we didn't dung the trees and they're not producing fruit, and well, the best time, the second best time is to start doing that today. And so my goal here this morning is to just stir us for a long-term vision and that's why I called the message, The Journey to Usefulness. You know, Proverbs has so much to say about foolishness and children that disobey and that disrespect and, and just do a word study on fools in Proverbs. And, and you'll soon find out that, that they're not very useful to the Lord. 
So what we want is a long-term vision for our children, a vision for usefulness to God. So if you're here this morning or listening in, and you have little babies on your laps, and young school-age children, I'm sure you know this already, I'm just reminding you to have a vision for the long haul, the 20 year down the road mark, the time when they're mature and bearing fruit and sh- having leaves and, and very useful. I think it was Brother Danny that said, we are not raising children, we are raising up men and women for God. And you stop and think about that, that is a lot of truth in that. That all has to do with our vision that we have for our families. If you're raising children, you're just, you know, going through the motions and get these children up and on their own and on adulthood and let them be what they want to be, perhaps. Get them out of childhood. But if we're raising men and women for God, then we will do some things on purpose. Amen? We'll do some things on purpose. So it, it has such a big impact on the end result, what our vision is. Raising our children to be useful for God. We know that God has not much use for a fool or for someone that hasn't learned the principles of God. If parents have failed, then then God has to sometimes do a very hard and difficult work on an individual to make him useful for himself. I have just a a list of of young men here that I want us to think about in the beginning here on this matter of being useful for God. We all love the story of Isaac. We all love the story of Joseph. Probably some of us have him, have these young men for our heroes, and I hope we do. You young men here, I hope you have these men for your heroes, men that you look up to, men you want to be like. Men like Isaac and Joseph, and we like the story of David, a young man that slew the giant. I like the story of Saul, then later on called Paul. And we'll, we'll maybe look at a few of, of details of these individuals. Or the story of Timothy, tremendously used of the Lord. Or the story of Jesus. He also has something, we also have... Uh, something to learn of Jesus on this matter of being useful to the Lord. So we're not going to spend a lot of time on these, but turn with me quickly to Genesis 22 for our first one. Very familiar account, but I thought it would be good just to see it and, and, and stir us where this young man had, had come to. Genesis 22. There's some differences of opinion on how old exactly Isaac was when this offering of himself happened there in, on the mount there where Abraham offered up his son Isaac. I can find the right paper here. Adam Clark, he likes to, he likes to put him at about, at about uh, let me see here. <clears throat> He likes to put him at about 33, the age of Jesus. It's a little older than I would have imagined, but you can do the, do the math, and it's somewhere between 25 and 30, probably. 30, 33. Adam Clark says it is more probable that he was now about 33, the age at which his great antitype was offered up, speaking of Christ. He says, for can it be supposed that an old man or at least of at least 125 years of age could have bound without his consent a young man in the very prime and vigor of his life? In this case, we cannot say that the superior strength of the father prevailed, but the, the piety, the filial affection and the obedience of the son yielded. All this was most illustriously Typical of Christ. 
In both cases, the Father himself offers up his only begotten Son, and the Father himself binds him on the wood or to the cross. In neither case is the Son forced to yield, but yields of his own accord. In neither case is the life taken away by the hand of violence. Isaac yields himself to the knife. Jesus lays down his life for the sheep. And so we know the account of Abraham, Isaac's dad. He had, he had done his homework, I believe. God himself says that he knows Abraham, that we, he will instruct his children in his household after him. And dear fathers, Abraham had a vision, I believe, for his children and for his servants. And he felt the responsibility and the weight to teach his children the fear of the Lord. For long-term usefulness, many years later, 30 years later, this, this account happens and it's the most awe-striking account, one of the most awe-striking accounts that we have in the Bible. Let's just look at a few verses here in Genesis 22. As they approach the mountain where the sacrifice will be made. Verse 6, And Abraham took the wood and burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. Think of this, this, uh, this, uh, these two going together up the mountain, father and son. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father, 33 years old. I, I stand to be corrected if you find it to be that accurately different, but uh, 33 years old, and he says, my father, and he says, here I am, my son, and he says, behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burned offering? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together, and they came to a place which God had told him of, and Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. We have no record here of any words exchanged at these last few minutes here as, as Abraham built the altar and laid the wood and finally he had to come to Isaac and say, it's for you. You lay on there. Somehow he had to convey that message to him. And Isaac, without a struggle, crawled up on there, laid there. Abraham bound him. The fire is burning. He's bound. Abraham picks up the knife, perhaps laying there on the rock. Isaac is perfectly still, and his hand is raised. And God speaks out of heaven and called, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am, here am I. And he said, lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thine son, thine only son from me. It's tremendous. It's tremendous. Oh, fathers, can we have a vision like that? I don't stand here as one that has arrived or has, it done, has done it all right, because I know I haven't. But to have such respect and honor and obedience, to live, to live in such a way before our children that they would go to such an extent... I'm left speechless. But it was a perfect picture, or it was at least a type of the sacrifice of Christ. But it was real for Abraham and Isaac. But the point that I would like to again make here is, I believe that there were 25 years or 30 years of deep teaching and training and daily connecting and discussing, and Abraham showing how to live life, and how to deal with life issues, and how to respond, and how to react, and Abraham, I don't believe, was one to fly off the handle, and had an anger problem, you know, and, and all these issues, but he feared the Lord, and he walked with his God in front, of, in front of Isaac, and when the time came 
for this ultimate test, both for him and for Isaac, they both passed the test. What a testimony. Turn back a few chapters to chapter 37. We'll look at, at Joseph. Chapter 37, verse 1. And here again, we're, we're jumping way ahead uh, in Joseph's life. Actually, no, I'm sorry. That's, I have two references here. This is where, where he is born and where we have the first account of his childhood. One to four. And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was fleeting, feeding the flock with his brethren. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Zilpha, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now, jo- now Israel, or Jacob, loved Joseph more than all his children, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. And then he goes on to talk about his dreams. We probably all know about that, and, uh, and gives that account. Uh, Go down to verse 31 of that same chapter, or verse 29. Uh, They have thrown him into a pit. Reuben has the intention to pull him, to, to lift him out and send him back to his father. But while he was gone, his brother sold him. Uh, to Egypt, but in verse 31 it says, They took Joseph's coat and killed a kid in the, of the goats and dipped the coat in blood, and they sent the coat of many colors, and they brought it to their father, and he said, This have we found, know now whether it be thy son's coat or no. And he knew it and said, It is my son's coat, an evil beast has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces. And Jacob rent his clothes, put sackcloth upon his loins, and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and his daughters rose up to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted and said, For I will go down into the grave unto my son mourning. This, thus his father wept for him. And we know the story how he was then sold into Egypt. But again... Jacob obviously didn't do everything right probably to provoke his other sons to anger or to jealousy by, by uh, maybe going too far and being, uh, being uh, partial with, with Joseph there. But somewhere Joseph got a hold of something. Somewhere Joseph, wherever he went, he was useful for God. He was obedient he, he was different than the rest of the boys. He, 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 he brought to their father their evil report. We're not told what they were doing, but whatever it was, it was evil. And I believe by, by, by the way it says it there that he probably was not party to it or was not with them in doing it. And naturally, his father's love probably went more to Joseph than what it should have, or at least outwardly. But... Their hatred and jealousy was fueled to the point where they, where they wanted to kill him but sold him. But wherever Joseph went, he went to prison, God was with him. He, he, he went to the throne, God was with him. He had power, God was with him. He didn't use it to his own advantage. You know the story. David, seems like David and Joseph had something in common. Joseph was also sent by his father very obedient boy, out to see how his brothers are doing. And they didn't treat him so nice when he came out to, there to the, to the battle with the Philistines. They said, oh, you're just, who do you think you are? You're just, you want to see the battle. You just, you know, tired of taking care of the sheep. And they, and they just really had, gave him a hard time there, just like Joseph's brothers. They didn't like David. Why? Why didn't these older brethren like their godly brothers? Matthew Henry says, It is common for those that are beloved of God to be hated by the world, whom heaven blesses, hell curses, 
To those to whom God speaks comfortably, wicked men will not speak peaceably. It is said here of Joseph, yeah, I'll stop reading there, but these young men were righteous, but it was not well received. But again, they didn't get there overnight. I believe these young, David especially, young man practiced his His love for the Lord out there taking care of the sheep. He loved the Lord. He wrote psalms and and that came through in his life. And, uh, you know, not everyone liked it. But God. Now, Saul. Let's turn to Acts for a New Testament one. Acts 9. And we'll look at Saul. We don't know much of Saul's childhood. I'm not sure how old he was, but Saul, we may think of him sometimes as a wicked, wicked sinner out there killing Christians. And it was a, 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 really an evil deed that he was doing. But Saul was not doing that out of, uh, out of uh, a wicked heart. He was doing that with a wrong zeal for God. And God saw that. Saul in Acts 9, we have this about Saul. After he had his vision and was struck down by the bright light from heaven and struck blind, God spoke to Ananias in verse 13 of Acts 9, and he said, uh, Actually, let's read in verse 10. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him said the Lord in the vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for, he, for behold, he prayeth. And hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said, notice this, but the Lord said unto him, go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me. Saul is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. God had his eye on these young, on these men. I want to make a point here. God had his eye on these men long before he used them publicly. While Paul was very zealous, and you could go to Philippians 3 there and read of his personal testimony of how righteous he was, and he was the Pharisee of the Pharisees. God was watching that young man. He thought, thought, you know, one day I'm going to use that zeal for my kingdom. One day I'm going to turn that man, I'm going to come to that man, I'm going to get his attention, and he's going to serve me with that same zeal. He's going to use that zeal for me, and he did. And Paul, hence we have probably wrote most of the New Testament, at least the epistles. And I believe somewhere there was a father or a mother in Paul's life that motivated him to learn the law, to become the Pharisee of Pharisees, to sit at the feet of Gamaliel and to learn. And that's where Paul found himself. He sat at Gamaliel's feet. He was learned by the chief teacher there and... When he was ready to go, he went with everything he had. Parents, how do you see your children? God saw Isaac in preparation long before he, used, he asked him to crawl on that altar. God noticed Joseph long before he sent him to Egypt. God saw David of David, when, when, when Samuel was there choosing one of these sons to be anointed for king, God reminded him, man looks on the outside, I look on the heart. Fathers and mothers, 
Are we aiming for the heart of our children? Hopefully more on that later, because that is what God is looking for. Very familiar verse, 2 Chronicles 16, 9. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. I hope we are aiming for the heart. I hope as we look at our children, we realize that they are untrained. They come with nothing. And they need teaching and training. And we aim for the heart. We want them to have the heart of Isaac. The heart of Joseph. The heart of David. The heart of Saul. Timothy. And Jesus. That's what we want when we're done. 20 years later. That's what we want. We don't want them just to obey our yes and no without a heart. But... We want the heart, and that is hard work. That doesn't happen just by throwing down a few rules. <clears throat> Turn to Second Timothy 2, yet, and maybe we'll get down into some practicals then. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 19. This is just to stir our minds that God has really not changed in his desire to use our children for his kingdom, for his glory. 2 Timothy 2, verse 19. This is in the New Testament. Paul writing to Timothy saying, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. This is something we can build on. This is something we can get a hold of. It is a sure foundation. The Lord knows them that are His. The Lord knows those children that have been taught the fear of the Lord. I believe it. The Lord knows them that are His. They may not be born again yet. You know, that may be before that time. But God knows those that are His. The Lord knows them that are his, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Let's keep reading. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold or of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. Usefulness. Usefulness. We know already, like I said in the beginning, God doesn't have a lot of time for fools, for foolishness. And for children that have not grown up and become adults, that's sad. We do our children great dis disfavor if we don't take the childishness out of them by the age of 12, probably. That was the goal for the Jewish young men, 12 years old. They were supposed to be done with childish things, I understand. Oh, dearly beloved, we live in a very fun-filled world. Lot doesn't change like it should. It's just they get bigger toys. Let's be different. Let's be different. How should we view our children? They are from God and for God. From God, first of all. Lo, children are in heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. From God and for God. God gives them to us and then he comes back around and looks what we are doing with them. How are we raising them? How are we teaching them? How are we training them? They are a gift from God. 
They are lent to us for a time. They may bear our image as parents, but they also bear the image of God. And so God comes back around looking for his own at about 20 or 30 years and says, how can I use this one? Is he ready? Is his heart or her heart perfect toward me? Have have his parents taken the childhood out of him? Have they trained him? Have they taught him? How is it? The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Number two, how do they come? These little ones, they come to us with nothing. Nothing. Paul tells Timothy, for we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out. They come to us Just a bundle of life. That's all they are. A little spirit wrapped up in some flesh and blood. A soul breathed in there by God. Just a bundle of life. Naked without anything. They come with an instinct to suck. Peter uses this as a lesson to the newborn believers. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. That's about all they know to do is suck and cry. They come with two basic needs. Eat and sleep. And they'll let you know if those needs aren't being met. And that's the blessing. We get very alarmed when they don't suck. We, after a while, rush them to the hospital and say, what's wrong? My, my little one don't suck. It's, it's not doing what it's supposed to have an instinct to do. But then the time comes as they get a little older, that training needs to start. They come very untrained. The nice thing about them is that God gives them a desire and the ability to learn. You ever think about that? They have a tremendous ability to learn, to pick up sounds and to recognize faces. And, and, and very soon you see them connecting and responding and, and they're learning and they're taking in. And that's a tremendous blessing. Imagine trying to teach children, train children that wouldn't have that. It'd be like training a stone. But they have this tremendous ability to receive and learn and they're, and they're, they're gathering information and sights and sounds and, and all these things are, are going into their little minds. What an opportunity to put in their good things and right things and godly things. What an opportunity, parents, to give them a true picture of God. A true picture of a father that is, that, is, that is like God that he will know someday and learn to walk with. He is loving. He is gentle. He hears the, the voice of his father long before the father realizes it. And he hears a constant gentleness, singing, hymns, whistling, loving words coming from this masculine voice that someday he'll learn is his father. He is receiving. He is coming untrained, but already he's being trained. What an opportunity to put right things before them, right sounds, right atmosphere. All these things are in your hands, young parents. They're all in your hands. Think of a little six-month-old baby that is growing up into a home with other children that haven't been taught properly. And there's fighting and screaming and yelling and, and the household is loud. And, and, you know, I'm not saying we should be perfect. We all have those times, but just in the extreme. Think of what happens in that little baby's heart when it lives in that environment versus 
and maybe even in the worst case scenario, loud music, worldly you know, music going on versus a home that is the rest of the children are being trained. There's, there's order. If there's music, it's godly music. When there's talking, there's not yelling. There's, there's apologies going on. There's the spirit of Christ is there. I think they can pick that up long before we can imagine. They come to us untrained, and the wise man of the Bible says, train up a child. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. I believe that verse. We should go, go after that verse with everything we have. Everything we do. If, we, if we'd go back, we won't for the sake of time, but if we'd go back and read the account there in Deuteronomy 6, you know, fathers, the weight that God put on fathers to teach their children. You know, first thing in the morning, in the house, on the walls, when they're walking down the street, you know, talking to their children about the things of the Lord. That's all part of training. Do that, fathers. Don't be lax in that. Take the, that opportunity for that one-year-old to just pump good things into his little brain. Train up a child in the way he should go. Have a vision. Know where you want him to go. Do you know where you want your children to go? We're talking about the journey of usefulness. Do you have a vision? Do you know where you want them to go? When they are three, do you want them to come to you when you say come? When you give them a command, do you, do you want them to go the way of, of, of having to say it three or four times before you put the, the hand down and say this is enough? Do you want them to obey one time? Where do you want to go? Train them up in the way he should go because they don't know. Where do you want your child to go? Do you want them to be useful for God one day? Do you want them to be able to slay the giant when they are asked to? Because they'll have some in their life. The other side of it is, a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. If we're lax and too much self-time and too much they'll get over it and too much left to himself, they'll be shame. First part of that verse is, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. Train up a child in the way he should go. I would recommend that you as mothers and fathers would sit down and you would make some, some visions for your children. Where do you want them to be? How do you want them to deal with life struggles? And I'm not necessarily, you know, saying you make these high and lofty things, but just with life. Life issues. And the way that you want your teenager to respond to life issues would be good and helpful if you would start training your little one to lay down their will at a, at a young age. And that when things don't go their way, it doesn't mean it's the end of the world. And their life falls apart if they don't get the biggest piece of pie or the red lollipop or whatever. You don't have to lose your head about it. You don't have to cry so loud. Just calm down now. Because someday you're not going to get the big thing that you didn't want. And someday you're going to be left behind and it's not going to feel very good. So your world doesn't have to fall apart because you didn't get what you wanted when you were five or six. Just calm down. It's okay. It's okay. David must have had some of that thinking when he went out there to the battle. And he was... His, his, his godly blood was stirred 
when he heard that uncircumcised Philistine curse the, 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 the armies of Israel. And he went in there and said, what's going on? And the, he started getting all these false accusations. Ah, oh, you're a naughty boy. You just want to come out here and see the battle. You go back, take care of your sheep. When that was none of it. You know, he could have really went on a, on a pity party if he would have wanted to. Or a rampage. Okay, then. Well, then be that way, you know. What did he do? Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? And it seemed like he just wiped it all off. All that false accusation, just wiped it away. And he walked out there, and he slew that giant. Wow! Which way shall he go? Do you have a vision? How do you want your family table to be? Orderly? How do you want your children to be when it's time to go to church? Do you have a vision? How do you want your children to be at church? You know, how do you want them to be? Train them in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Kind of got ahead of myself a little bit there, but so be it. Instruction in training. Number one, pray earnestly for wisdom. Pray earnestly. Make that, as you, you know, make that, who was it? Uh, uh, Simeon's father. Was it uh, Simeon, the one that his battle, his soldiers were reduced to 300 men? That don't sound right. What was his name? Was it Simeon? Gideon. Yeah, Gideon. Wasn't it him, wasn't it uh, his parents that the Lord came to and said they're going to have a son and they earnestly prayed how to raise him? Or was that, uh, was that uh, Samson's dad? That was Samson's dad, parents. But pray earnestly for wisdom. I guess the point that I'd like to make, take each of your children and say, these are our image they're our children, but they're also in the image of God. And God has given them to us to train. And I just wanted to encourage you to pray earnestly and take that responsibility serious. Number two, try to discern early on the difference between the cry for basic needs and the cry or the exertion of their will. Try to discern that early on. I'm not sure when that time is. It's been too long for me. If I say a time, I'll get in trouble. But I'm sure you young parents know. But sometimes they go from a cry of basic needs to, I don't like this, you know. And at that time, you start, your mama bear spirit needs to come out. You know, mama bears every now and then whop their babies or their cubs. Well, don't whop them too hard yet, but... All of a sudden, your mama bear spirit needs to come out. Now, wait a minute here, cubby. <laughs> and you just take that baby and hold him tight. Take those little arms, wrap him up, and let him squirm and kick till he gives up. I call that the mama bear spirit. You might love him, but you, there's a time when you love him that way, and you probably know that. But don't be weary in that. Number three, create clear patterns, consistency of resistance. When you do that, make sure you have a pattern to be consistent because that will, that will help them learn the lesson quickly. If you let them get away with it one time and not the next time, it'll just take longer. So be diligent. Watch for that thing and be consistent and create a pattern, something that he will not or she will not get away with. Never. Number four, give much affirmation and consolation to every sign of surrender. Good boy. Good girl when she relaxes, stops kicking. And affirm, affirm that little one. You'll have to do it again, I'm sure. Numerous times, 
But I think that is a way of nurturing that little one, resisting them, and then affirming and consoling them when they surrender their little will. Number five, eventually you will move from restraint like that to inflicting pain upon them. Maybe first probably just the snap of a finger or something very light where you inflict pain upon them. And they may cry a little louder when you do that out of bewilderment and astonishment and, and confusion but they need it. As they grow up, grow older, and that little will shows itself stronger, it needs to be met with equal force. First the snap of a finger, as the child grows, you will move on to the use of the rod. A very important point I'd like to make here, never, never discipline your child in anger. If you have done that, be sure to apologize and somehow uh, take care of that. But never discipline your child in anger. Why do parents discipline their children in anger? Why do they get angry? Maybe a good question for us to, to, th- to think about. Child is small, maybe seven years old, six years old. The parent is maybe 35 Child does something wrong, he disobeys. Why does a parent get angry? Why do we do that? Why do we rise up and, you know, you disobey and, and, and get back at him? Or we let it go till we're boiling and we tell them to stop and they keep doing it and we tell them to stop again and we get a little hotter and we tell them to, to stop and they don't and then we get really angry and we go and give them a, a good spanking. Well, one thing, very important point that I think will help us not to get angry is to have a clear understanding that you are training your children, not punishing them. Major difference. We, as Brother Denny used to say, you can expect them to disobey. They will disobey. Plan on it. And so it puts a whole different light on our training if we wake up in the morning and, well, one of my jobs today is training my children. And if they disobey today, I will not get upset and angry. I will do my job very calmly. Hopefully you have, it, have, it, have a, a vision to, to uh, you know, make them obey right away. And if they don't, they soon learn that punish, uh, discipline follows that. And the difference is how you view it. If you view it punishment, they're, they're doing something bad, or if they're just doing what is inside of them, and it's your job to get that out. And you don't need to do that all, at all in anger. You just go and take them and sit them down and say, you have disobeyed dad. You have disobeyed mom. And give them the Bible verse. And, and I want you to obey Right away, I want you to obey the first time. When I say come, you come. Or when I say put away the toys, you put them away. And you probably heard the godly homes, you can have your own little way of training them with that. Play the game, putting away the toys, you know, and, and calling them at a very inconvenient time and, and make sure that they, you follow through with that little teaching thing there and Make sure they get the point that when mom or dad speaks, it means obey. And then you just take that little one on your knee very calmly, very firmly, and you give them a nice hard spanking. Without anger, when you're done, you maybe pray with them, love them, bless them, go put your toy away. Right now, right now, go put it away. And he goes, put it away, and then you bless him for obedience. Number six, it is the parent's duty to train and teach. It is the children's duty to honor and respect. Keep those lines clear. 
Certainly our teaching and training needs to be done with kindness and tenderness. But it is perfectly right to give a firm no. Sometimes, or because I said so, put your toy away. No questions asked. Or even maybe a furrowed eyebrow. Perfectly right. And ideally expecting a yes dad or a yes mom from them when you do that. To reason or bargain or allow them to tell us their opinion is doing a great harm to our five-year-old. That shouldn't be done. Now, I'm not saying you can never have a discussion with them and you can hear, you know, you can have that little dialogue with them, but it should never be on the same scale. You should always be the parent. You should always have the eye of teaching and training. They should always have the fear of you and that with honor and respect. You should never make bargains with them that, that puts them on, on, or dialogue with them that puts them on the same level as you and, and they're this little child and you're relating to them almost like an adult. That does them tremendous damage. I think they lose their fear of a parent. It's a little hard for me to maybe make myself clear in this, but... This is a very important point. Allowing disrespect in children towards their parents or other adults is a great affront to God. We know that. We know what happened there in in 2 Kings 2 when those 40 children came out and mocked Elisha. God sent a she-bear out there or two or whatever it was and killed all 40 or 42 children. For their disrespect to an old bald head man. Where did it start? Somewhere it must have started where they were allowed to do that with their parents. To kind of, you know, share their opinion or, or I will obey you on my terms or I'll do it this way. And they come to the same end, maybe they were putting their toy away, but it's their way. Uh-uh. Bad, bad. You do it my way. It's a big thing. This is where I ran out of time. And I ran out of time again, I guess. But I have one good note to end on. Well, not that this isn't a good note. This is a very good note. Amen? I hope it is. Forgive me if I'm coming across in a way that it's not. But, please, parents, pray about this. Ask God for wisdom that disrespect is a big thing with God if your children disrespect you. That could come in the form of having, having you to having, they make you say things two, three times and that comes back to us because we're the ones that let them get by with it. And we don't demand immediate obedience and there are so many ways that they can show disrespect. And they may show it to other adults then at church or wherever. As a church family, I think we should love each other enough to help each other in this. If my child is disrespectful to you, I want to know it. If your child is disrespectful to me, I hope you want to know it, you know, and that we can help each other in this thing because it is no little thing. But anyway, in closing, and maybe I can have another message to this. I feel very incomplete, and I would, I would uh, definitely welcome your input as parents, specific areas that you want touched on. But children are simply a blessing, from the Lord. And it struck me as I was reading about Joseph. And if you turn with me in closing to Genesis 41, 
we'll see something here. And consider the blessing of children. Children that I believe are taught and trained and, and, and are such a blessing. But even before that, when, when we have a child from the Lord, it, it deeply affects us as it did Joseph here. In, jo- in Genesis 41, Joseph has his two first children in verse 50. Uh, I'm not there. Genesis 41, verse 50. Think of all that Joseph went through. Here he is in, in Egypt. He is second in command. There's a lot going for him. But think of his history. He was a man. He, he, he missed his father. He wondered about his father. He thought often probably about his brothers and how they mistreated him. And here in Genesis 41, verse 50, he had a son and he called him Manasseh. And that means, for God, said he, hath made me to forget all my toil and all my father's house. He looked at this little boy He was so blessed, and he called him, you are helping me forget my troubles. And the next one, the name of the second he called Ephraim, verse 52, for God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. There's just, it's packed. You know, life has its challenges. Life is hard sometimes. But can we somehow in the face of our children say, thank you, God, Manasseh, Ephraim, you have caused me to forget all my troubles in this little bundle of life. For whatever that's worth, I'll leave you with that. God bless you. Thank you for your attention.